And welcome to the TKW podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo, and today I'm joined here by my good old friend Kyle Maggio. Kyle, what's going on, Ant? How's everything? Everything's good. Everything's good. Just like old times, like we were saying before. It's uh, back to our roots. We are uh, wishing Matt a very, uh, very nice goodbye, and you know, best of luck at, at uh, SNY. We know he's going to kill it. He's going to be on their social team, and they got a really good group over there already, um, and yeah, this only makes it better. So, looking forward to doing a lot more work with Matt in the future. Looking forward to having him on the pod in the future. And uh, yeah, cheers to you, bud. Yep. Uh, and, and I didn't get to say a whole lot on the last pod. I just felt, um, you know, we we shouldn't get too bogged down. But I do want to say a couple things for um, a lot of the listeners who maybe don't get to see, you know, maybe don't follow us on Twitter or don't uh, follow us. Uh, on Facebook or anything, you know, maybe just people who are ex- exclusive to the pod. Um, Matt was a very important figure for this brand, uh, for the website, for the podcast. And, um, you know, we wish him the best, uh, but we wouldn't be close to where we are today without his constant efforts. And I said it on Twitter, but I just want to cover my bases here. Uh, Matt, just uh, a hell of a guy, hell of a worker, hell of, you know, a guy you want to go to battle with. And I was happy to do the podcast with them as long as we did it. Um, wishing him the best at S and Y, like Ant said, I know he's going to kill it there, but, um, show Matt some love on Twitter or whatever. I mean, just, he, he deserves it. You know, he, he just knows so much. Like, he, like we're gonna, we're going to cover our bases. We're going to make sure that we keep the pot interesting and we keep the discussion flowing and everything like that. But Matt's just got a mind for basketball. He sees all these things. So he's a great follow, uh, for anyone who, uh, if, you know, and for everybody. Especially, you know, even for college ball that we have come oh, out. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's, it's always, the Knicks still are, are not a good team, and it, it's still prospect watch yeah. all year for us. And Check uh, out his TKWU series from this past uh, this past draft it, class. I'm sure he'll do something more like that again this year. So Exactly. And as you guys know from listening to the pod, um, I wouldn't say I wasn't knowledgeable of college sports, but I casually watched it and just made sure I watched a couple of prospects. I thought the Knicks uh, would end up getting, but Matt is a you know, NCAA know it all. And I don't mean that as, as a slight, he just, he knows the stuff through and through like the back of his hand. He's, he can tell you a list of 20, 30 players. He thinks the Knicks should be taking a hard look at. So, um, definitely, definitely valuable person to follow and just keep up with. But, uh, yeah, again, yeah. just last thing, wish him at the best and, uh, you know, don't be too worried. We started this podcast, uh, what in 2015, 16, 16, 16. and it just was just our two year mark. Yeah, it was just Ant and I, and uh, you know now we're back with you guys with just way more of you now. Yeah, and we'll, we'll have uh, we'll have someone else joining into the pod team as well uh, on a regular basis. We'll be announcing more about that later. Uh, but while we are plugging uh, Matt away, do we want to just drop a couple of links in here real quick before we get started? Uh, sure, sure. So obviously, make sure you. Uh, you follow, you know, you go visit the It's very important to us. We need the clicks helps us. 
And uh, more importantly, you guys get great free daily Knicks content. You know, it's the best original Knicks content you're going to find out there. So make sure you do that. Make sure you uh, give this podcast a five-star review. And also just leave a nice review. We like reading we like, those. Yeah, we like, we like uh, hearing from you guys. Follow uh, TKW Podcast on Twitter so that we can re- uh, you know engage with you guys a little bit. Follow the Knicks wall. You can follow myself at Wish I Was Corbo. You can file, follow Kyle at Kyle Maggio. Um, check out some TKW merch at T Public, and some new things should be dropping there soon. Get get your uh, you know get your uh, get your loved ones outfitted for the holidays. Um, all right, anything else? No, that's about it. All right, so where do we start here tonight? Do we? Uh, is is it all about the step over? I don't want to overreact, and maybe it's fitting. This is Matt's first podcast away, so he could uh, shy away and cower from what is now the truth as we know it. Um, Mario Hazonia is our new Lord and Savior. Mario Hazonia is uh, greater than Allen Iverson. Mario Hazonia has um, firmly planted his flag in the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. Now is that uh, is this a better step over than the Iverson Tyloo one was because it's got so much impact after especially after what happened in February with the you know the the obvious injury and the you know Hardaway embarrassment and everything like that this feels really good over Giannis who also you know it's it's a win for the NBA as a whole because Giannis is out there terrorizing players on a daily basis yeah um, yeah and, yeah uh, I, I, this feel this feels good it it was his only points of the night but it feels good. Yeah, I mean, and it positively was not better than the Iverson uh, step over. I just want to get that out of the way because some of you guys uh, never pick up on when we're joking or sarcastic, so I just want to clear that up. But I will say I found it hysterical that Hazonia, uh, and first of all, we're totally forgetting about Giannis got yammed on a minute before by Noah Vonley to get this game started. Nick's first two points, he just yammed just directly Vonley looked great all game. Vonley looked great. Oh, uh, he he just he was able to hold Giannis down like I've not seen any really many players in the league be able to do. He uh, was very physical with him, and Giannis still did finish the game with a pretty crazy line. So I'm not. But gonna that's going to happen. Say, but like, right. but as long as you can like contain him to a degree, as I like honestly, like as long as he's not just going off on you and like dominating the entire momentum of the game. Giannis right. looked like a good player out there, but he didn't look like it was his game. He didn't look like Anthony Davis does when he plays us, you know? Yep. No. And again, again, there's no, uh, there's no shame in it or anything like that, but it, it's almost like, um, remember the 2015 finals when Iguodala was, uh, being up LeBron the entire series. And he won the finals MVP simply because he made LeBron's life harder and LeBron was fighting an uphill battle without Kyrie and right. Love, but um, right, but but he, you know, he was still able to get a shot off. He was still able to, you know, be a averaged, dominant player in that series. But he was contained to a degree. Yeah, he averaged damn near a uh, triple double, and he's he still got the award. And Guadal did for what he did, and that's sort of what I felt like Vonley did. Like, did he really slow him? No, but he made him earn it. It contributed you know I mean? to the win. The margin was super yeah. tight in the win and you know without Vonley at least being able to contain Giannis to a degree and not letting him go off, you know, for a career night again which happens all the time against these Knicks, you know, that made a huge difference especially when the mar- you know when the game comes down to a point. Okay. Yeah, and um that that's very true. And I just find it funny that 
Hazonia got things started off like that. I think he had the second or third basket of the game for the Knicks. And that was his uh, first two points. And wouldn't you know it, that was his only two points of the night. And I almost wouldn't have it any other way than Mario Hazonia contributing nothing else except stepping over and then and, uh, for no reason, I mean, sorry, dunking on and then for no reason stepping over Giannis just because he just, he knew he needed a moment. I think he, I don't know that he knew he was losing the fans, but I think he knew he needed a moment. He hadn't really contributed uh, significantly yeah. in a meaningful. I mean, he had the one good game in Milwaukee. Uh, I think, you know, beginning of the year, I think that was the fourth or fifth game of this, the season. And then he had a good game in uh, Philly, but it was a blowout. So it's tough to gauge how much impact he really truly had there. But um, I think he knew he needed a moment and you could see it. He, he kind of went out of his way to do the step over and then he yep. knew the crap. No, he I mean, did. There was plenty of room for him not to. And he did. And I we're appreciate su- the we're commitment. Suckers for this shit. We're suckers for this shit. And yeah. I, and I love it. I, I shameless, very shameless about it. And the crowd loved it. And rightfully so he's pumping the crowd up, waving his hands. I mean, you want to see that kind of stuff and I doubt it will, but hopefully that's like a little thing he could build off of that to help him get some confidence to get going. I doubt it, it but not. it would be nice. It will not. Um, uh, and, and, Matt, and Matt's yelling in his car right now that it will not. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can. The uh, we should mention that the final score of the game was one thirty six to one thirty four in overtime. Um, we so, you know, there was plenty of room for him to step over the other way, and we should probably talk about what was actually said uh, after the after the game as well. With Giannis first coming at him, stating, uh, what, "What was the exact quote here? That he would next time he will do that, he will punch him in the nuts." Yeah, he said, uh, "You know, next time he does that, I, I'm going to punch him in the nuts." And then everyone thought he was joking, but he just uh, deadpanned everybody, the media in the room. So his ownia, and I'm going to sort of drag this out for half a second so I can go find the exact quote so I don't butcher it. But it was by Steve Popper got the quote last night. And uh, Hazonia had a nice answer there. And he said, honestly, if you this is Tiannis in response. Honestly, if you're afraid, this is not for you. Uh, I don't want to be disrespectful, but if you feel fear, then this is not the place for you. New York is not a place for you. And this team is not a place for you. This is not a place for you. This is not for you. He told Giannis and Kupo that playing at the NBA is not for him. Likely, likely 2018, 19 NBA MVP. Uh, from a, for poten- the, from a player for potentially likely, on his last deal. Yeah. For the, for the likely contending, uh, yeah, uh, Milwaukee bucks. He, um, you know, his who scored two points. And contributed nothing besides those two points yes. on a nasty dunk and step over. It was on a one-year contract after flaming out in Orlando only, you know, four years after his draft. That guy decided to tell Giannis that this, that this is not for him. And the last thing that I will say, and, and I'm not trying to rag on his own. I did think it was a good moment. I just, the last thing I will say yeah. on it was, um, what was I going to say? I, I, I will just put this here. Regardless of if it was his two points, regardless of if it if he uh, contributed anything else, regardless of if he should be in the starting lineup or not, tonight and this weekend at least, until the next game, Mario Hazonia is a hero, and I commend him for it. Absolutely, I neither and that I neither that like listen, oh. I don't I don't blame Giannis for KP getting injured. It that's just how things I, go. I think that's silly. I know, like we try to joke around about it, like yeah, that was. That was for KP. That's revenge for last year. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, I don't blame him for it. Trying to hurt you, I, I, I don't blame Giannis for KP getting injured. It's a freak injury. Things happen. I don't blame Giannis for jumping over Tim Hardaway Jr. 
uh, and, and, you know, obliterating in all of his confidence and, you know, probably for a long time. Um, you know, those things happen. I applaud him for having that T-shirt that was made taken down as well immediately after. But regardless of all that, that just felt good. There was just a little, little, little tinge of happiness that came with that. So what I'm all I'm for it. What I'm going to say is, uh, you know, Giannis likes to dunk on everybody, rightfully so. He's capable of doing it uh, any point in the day, whether he's in a game or not. Um, but normally when he dunks on somebody, he always stares them down. He always, you know, looks in the crowd and like kind of like grunts and, you know, I mean, right. he, he's, he's not, he's not up, a like, humble that, player on the like, court by any means. Oh, no, but I'm saying like, that's, that's what NBA players do. Guys are cocky. Like that's how you, that's how you do it. You, you one up everybody, you, you know, you're going to get got sometimes and you hopefully get yours more than you get got to quote the great. See, that's Marshawn. the thing with Giannis though. I don't think he thinks he's ever going to get got. Like, I don't I, think he ever expects. And may I point out that after all that staring down, he does after his own dunks and all the big talks after the game. And again, I do not hate Giannis by any means. I actually love him pretty dearly, but you don't get to then not make eye contact with his as he's staring over you. You don't retaliate. You don't do anything during the game. And then after the game, you get all pissy about it and go, Oh, I'm going to punch him in the nuts. Listen, man, you're going to prove it on the court, but go prove it on the court. We don't need to hear this stuff when you do this nightly. Just go prove it on the court next time you guys play. Uh, I think it's on Christmas Day. Um, go go handle it then. Don't, we don't need If it was such a problem, you would have handled it on the court. Period. Period. That's it. It's Mario Zonia. I agree. No, I it's agree. Mario I, exactly. You handled it on the court. Um, that guy's fearless. So, so we, we do have a lot more that we should get to in this game as well. Um I guess we should probably go into the guy who took over for most of the last, uh, the end of the game was Emmanuel Moutier. Finished the game with 28 points, seven assists, three rebounds. Uh, played 36 minutes and really seemed to come alive in that fourth quarter there. It had a couple of huge three-pointers that brought the Knicks right back into the game. Um, obviously, Moutier is a huge topic of debate amongst fans. Is what, like... Inconsistency is going to be there with him regardless, no matter what. But have you seen real improvements in this game this year? Things that can carry over game to game, at least. He's not going off for 28 a game, regardless of if it's overtime or not. But there's got to be some things now that he's been able to show on a consistent basis. I, I, I think if just to start us off, I think getting to the rim has been his biggest ally lately. Yeah, what I'm going to say is um, and I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket on this by any means um, for the sake of doing it. The three point shooting that he's doing um, is just going to fall off a cliff at some point. He's hitting a lot. Absolutely. And, and, and by a lot, I mean a lot of, for the context of this kind of shot, he's hitting a lot of like very unbalanced shots, very off balance shots. And he's, and he's moving or falling forward as he's shooting or fading away. And he's doing that. He's from kicking his legs out. Inch. Like they're, he's, legs they're, out. he's and, trying to draw fouls and they're going in, which and, is yes, a, a sign. And, and while I love the result and I, and we, I wouldn't say trash Moutier, but we felt like we knew who he was as a player. We thought this was going to be Burke and Frank all year, duking it out. Um, and we didn't really even give Moutier a lot of thought. And I'm not going to sit here and bash us either, rightfully so, because Moutier, after getting traded here, played his way out of the rotation swiftly last year. So everything that we had seen from him in Denver and in New York last year, he just wasn't, he just wasn't it. He just wasn't a good player. Um, this year, I don't know what I, I, it is specifically, but he seems to just be like, 
and this is aside from the unsustainable three-point shooting, but he seems to well, be more patient in getting to the rim. I mean, regardless— Instead of going— Oh, go ahead. No, I, I agree with you. He does look a very—he does look a lot more patient, but I think part of that comes from his— uh, I think he just feels more encouraged out there. He's shooting the best field, uh, field goal percentage of his entire career this year so far. He's shooting nearly 50%. Uh, he's 47.4, and his three-point percentage is also a career high at 35.4 as well. So, you know, regardless of if those shots start to go a little bit off the track or not, like, you know, he actually did. Uh, he had half his half season in Denver was uh, was a better three point percentage than he's shooting now. But as a whole for the year, it wasn't as good. But regardless, you know, he's he's going to come down a little bit for sure. But I think he's got that confidence that's really allowing him to see the court efficiently and know when he's got the lane to the rim. He just looks yeah. like he's putting up better shots around there, too. Like, he's not just throwing the ball up at the rim. Like, he's actually sees how to get around players and be able to move the ball underneath the rim to get a clean shot up. Yeah, and, and you know, it really is funny because I was going through our own Ty Jordan's piece before on uh, kind of, is this the real Emmanuel Moutier that we're, we're actually seeing here? And while I still don't believe that's true, um, you know, Ty kind of pointed out that, you know, uh, he's he's supposed to be, he remember Fizdale says he's, he's the best passer on the team. He was supposed to be in here because he's the best passer on the team to, to whip the ball around, get it moving. And while he does push the pace a lot more than Burke and Frank do and are capable of at this moment, I've noticed that his assist numbers are actually down from the, his last couple of years. He's just scoring more. And I, he did have 20 and seven last night. So I'm not going to sit here and say he doesn't move the ball, but, um, it seems like a lot of what his passing is now is like secondary. Like he's just swinging it to the wing to get the action started versus trying to make the play for the assist. So he still is moving the ball around the way Fisdale intended, but there's no, you know, assist numbers to really uh, back that up. But basically, uh, basically what Ty pointed out, and this was a couple days ago, he said, uh, Moody is operating at the fastest pace of his career. Um, so that's, that's big because you know, that's a part of Fisdale's system. So I'm sure. And that also ties into with, it's like, it's that's the pace numbers are also really encouraging because he's staying efficient while he's doing it. And while it's only, you know, been 17 games that he's played so far this year, that's still, he still looked to be able to continue that stretch. Like with pretty much every game he's been in, we've seen that regardless of if he's able to score or not, or really make a big impact in, in the minutes he's given, that ball is still pretty much flying around more than any other guard when he's out there. Right. And, and the, the pace thing is really important because he's uh, averaging 4.9 points in the paint right now per game. And that's the most since his rookie season. And uh, as Ty notes here, even more telling is that he's averaging around six fewer field goal attempts per game than he did that season while shooting a career high, almost 50 percent from the field. So um, and again, this was a few days ago, so the, the percentages are going to be a bit off. But um that's exactly what you would want. The one yeah. big thing we were worried about when he came here was that his tendency to kind of shy away from contact and fall down when he was going at the rim. Um, while that still does happen on occasion, it just to seem it just seems as though he's he's getting to his spots a little bit quicker or a little bit more easily, and he doesn't either a need to fall down or b. We've seen him make some really tough and ones over the course of the last two weeks. And it just seems like he's playing with a little bit more confidence. He's got with a little crazy bit more. arc on his shot at the rim. He does. Like the, like the way he like he hits like the top of the backboard when he's trying to bank it in on a layup. It, 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 yeah, it's an absolute rainbow that goes up. But um, I, I'm, I'm encouraged. I don't I don't know that I'm buying it. 
I buy I buy this. I, I buy that he should be the starter uh, pretty easily right now. I think that's very fair to say. Um, you know, and, and again, we spent all summer arguing with people about Burke or Frank, and um, nobody really made a case for Moutier. And just hats off to him. He's playing his ass off, and um, he's doing a hell of a job. And I do want to say, too, defensively, he's not suddenly a, a defensive stalwart by any means, but sort of similar to, you know, a Tim Hardaway Jr. for a while. He was trying a little bit more. When you look at Moutier, you could see he's actually active and engaged and he's, he's trying to get over screens a little better. He's trying to catch up to his man when they run base. Like he's trying to do these things a little bit better. I don't know if he's in better shape this season. Um, I don't know if he just, the, the switch maybe finally went off. I, I don't know, but everything we're seeing from this guy, even on the off nights, it looks like he's just really trying to bust his ass out there. And uh, again, hats off to him. It, it, it is really fun to watch. And I really do not mind being wrong. Call us what you want to call us. It's fine. This is a very enjoyable experience despite that, you know, the wins and yep. losses aren't. And we'll see we what happens. Him. We'll see. You know, it's, we wanted a cup eight on him last year and stuff. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Let's uh let's let's see what happens now. We we got we we have a lot of players on one year deals who we have to see about who's going to stick with us moving forward, but you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a good problem to have right now. Let's just hope that we get a true view of what he is throughout the rest of the season. We have one more uh before we get into well while while we're on the point guard path, we should just talk about Frank Nielkina not playing a minute in last night's game. Um, and this is this is something that's getting me really fired up. It's just like I understand the need not to damage his confidence. I understand the need to keep him on the team. I understand the need to you know see how he can improve up again in the NBA against again in practice against real talent. You know, but if you're not going to play him a minute of game time, like I'm sorry, the G League is there for a reason. Like you got like I was going off about this on the last pod we did, and I only feel incredibly more strongly after not seeing him play a minute last night. And I know Fisdale has been really wonky with his minutes. I know he's prone to, you know, start a player and then give him a DMP the next game even. But this is getting, I mean, this is getting to a point. This is a lottery pick. The guy's only been in the league for one year. He's an elite defensive player who's still working on putting his offensive game together. Put him somewhere where he's going to be able to get some burn with low effect, you know, low impact. Just like he's just got to work his way out of this thing and continually over magic him night after night. It's not going to do it. Uh, where do you stand on, on Frank right now? I have a couple of, uh, I have a couple of Frank takes and it brings the first one brings me no joy in saying, and the second one is a little bit more reassuring to calm you down. So start with the good, uh, start with the bad part here. Get it out of the way. I love Frank. You know, this I've wanted Frank to start. You know this again. As much as we want those things for Frank, as much as uh, we want the development of Frank, we want Fisdale to just keep putting him out there and help helping him learn and grow as a player. Um, when given the opportunities, you have to start taking advantage more often than not. And that's sort of where we're at now with Frank is that more often than not, he's not producing on the offensive can I, end. Can I just push on that for a second? Just, or do you want to continue with your point? Um, continue. You can push continue, on it. Continue. Uh, okay. Finish up. Okay. So while I love Frank, and while there have certainly been flashes, the first month of the season, I would have argued against what I just said. But there's since been another month, and he just hasn't done a whole lot. Now, I get that. 
He's moved back to the bench, and I get that Fizdale's been tinkering with the lineups, which is what I want to touch on for my second point. But um, you got to produce if you want to be out there, and he just he hasn't given it to us on offense after that first month. We saw the flashes against the Nets and against Golden State, which is the game everybody's going to reference. And outside of those games, he had other good games where he, where he put up nine or ten points. And while you know some of you guys might scoff at the nine or ten point thing. Um, for him to just simply double his point per game outage would have been huge. He's reverted since to the exact average that he was at last year, but you know, for him to to go from five points to 10 points a game in, in a year is actually really a big stride. So the first month of the year, that's what it seemed like we might be getting. And he's since fallen off a cliff with that. And a lot of it's just not hitting really wide open shots more often than not. So my my question on all that is like, I I just see with him he just looks clearly overmatched and has no confidence right now. I think he feels like he's overmatched out there, regardless of if he if he's really able to contribute or not. Like if he's after a while, just forcing the issue of him having to improve, having to improve, after having to improve, isn't going to do anything. Like I just feel like there are logical steps here we can do to try to force his improvement. And, you know, let him kind of develop a timeline for himself. People, like, constantly forget that he's 20 years old. I brought up the point that if the Knicks would have just, like, stashed him for two years in Europe, he would come over next year, and then he'd be a 21-year-old rookie who would probably be a little bit more polished. And, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Even if he struggled for another year, he'd, we still wouldn't be having this conversation. So I don't really understand what the point is to be trying to force improvement on him if it's not going to happen when he's 20 years old on the, on the big stage. There are avenues to take that can help him improve at a more consistent pace on a slower, you know, a slower timeline that would take him out of the spotlight at least. Yeah. And look, I, I mostly agree with that. It's just somehow, some way you got to find a way to make an impact. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to for me. And this kind of segues into my next thing, which is we've seen one good month, one bad month from him for the most part, right? The first month we saw kind of what we wanted to see the second month. We really haven't, he's fallen off a cliff and so have his minutes. My second point is I'm not really concerned about it the way a lot of fans are. The only thing that concerns me are those reports about teams being interested in him. That yeah, concerns yes, me. That, that the, is uh, absolutely like uh, that's a real concern because all these other teams see that he can he, that he can be a realistically impact impactful player and they'll probably do something with the G League with him as well. They'll figure out a development schedule that will make sense. Right now we have a coach who's really trying to force the issue that he's got a you know, it, it's just going to be effort, effort, effort. When maybe there are other, you know, other approaches we can take to getting Frank onto a productive timeline. Yeah, yeah, and you know, that's if you would have just told me that, you know, Frank got benched for an entire game, a DNP, and there's no inkling of the the trade rumors, I wouldn't have really batted an eye to be honest with you, only because sure. for the you know, Fisdale was really big about, hey, I'm going to do a lot of crazy experimenting. And we, we've seen guys who have clearly earned it and produced like Damian Dotson, who we've covered at length on this podcast, you know, who every game he got in, it seemed like he was putting up 12 or 15 points, you know, three or four rebounds, a couple of steals. And we saw that guy go right from that. He had like one or two meh kind of games. And then he got relegated to the bench, right? 
but we didn't attribute that to, well, you know, coach Fisdale thinks Dame Dotson stinks. We just attributed that to, Hey, he said for the first 25 or so games, he's going to tinker with the lineups. And as we saw with the preseason, when like guys mm-hmm. like Moody, got starts for no reason. It just seems like he's given guys different chances to do, you know, get looks at different uh, positions, different points in the games. It looks like he's given his own a chance to get going starting, which hasn't worked. But, um, you know, I, I don't really put a lot of stock into Fisdale benching it's him just, just to bench him. Right. You know? I, I agree with that as well. Like I, if like a DNP would not be a big deal for me, the difference with like Dotson is the sensitivity that comes with Frank being a lottery pick and being the ire of a lot of fans and, you know, already being a labeled a bust at this point in his career. Like the sensitivity that goes into that is like, you know, kind of the underlying issue with all of this. And it's, and then especially with the trade rumors going on at the same time, like, it really compounds the issue. And I don't understand if we're trying to, you know, boost Frank Nielakina's confidence back up. I don't understand how, you know, benching him amid trade rumors is going to, you know, is going to help that. But I under, right. but okay. But I do get, I do get a one game DMP. If you're trying to send a message to him, you know, now's your time to shine. You got to make it happen. All right, fine. But so what, what happens if this continues? What happens if this goes two games or four games or, you know, onward from there. I guess it depends when that happens, right? So we're, I just want to check the total games real quick, but we're at the 25 game mark or damn near 24 games in the Knicks sit at eight and 16. So tomorrow's going to be game 25. I'm interested to see if a, first of all, the lineup changes for tomorrow being that it's the game 25, or if he means 25 full games, and then I'm going to start looking at a set rotation. And he's alluded to this before, like Fisdale said this last month about guys getting no minutes or not enough minutes. He's like, look, I'm going to toy with these things until about 25 or so games. So he's kind of, and he's reiterated that publicly a few times. So he's kind of given himself that cutoff. But if it happens in the beginning, I guess I'd be worried because I, to me that let's say he changes the lineup on uh, tomorrow night or tonight, rather for those listening. Um, if he's, if Frank doesn't play, you know, most of this next week and most of the week after, then I w- would start to say, you know what? I think there's some credence to the trade rumors. I think there might actually be something here. Um, you know, how, how could they have uh credence or know, credence? Which is the one that I was supposed to be saying credence. Thank you. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, if it's like that, I think I'd be worried. Um, if it's a couple of months from now, and he's been, let's say, the seventh man off the bench. He's getting 20, 25 good minutes off the bench. He's playing a lot, playing some different positions. And then, like, 50, 60 games in, he just starts to lose a little bit of minutes. Then, to me, I, I wouldn't be as worried because at least I, I feel like I know the answer. You know, maybe he isn't producing. But just if it happens too soon, I, I wouldn't really. Yeah. I, I would I would be really fearful if it happens in the next I'm hoping to me that, that would mean the, the writings on the wall. I'm hoping this isn't the effect of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this isn't him shortening his rotation after 25 games. I don't, even if Frank, even though Frank has not seen any, you know, any improvement so far, like, I, I, I think he should still be in the rotation in one way or another. And I mean, if, if, the, if it's the other way, if it is him shortening his rotation, if this is, if this is David Fisdale saying, like, I'm going to be rolling with these guys moving forward, and then I'll have my end of bench guys who are going to come in in garbage time, or yeah, whether that's good or bad. 
if that is the case, then, for, then it only reinforces a G League point with Frank, man. It's just like uh, he doesn't want to do it. But if you're just not going to play him at all, if he's not in the rotation at all at this point, like, what do you, then what's the point? What are you doing? What, how are you developing this lottery pick? I mean, Fizdale is supposed to be the great developmental coach that we need. Like, if one of our first-round picks, even if it's from before when he was around or before when, you know, the other management members were around, if one of our lottery picks is just sitting on the bench and not developing in one way or another in his second year when he's 20 years old and is already a gifted defender, then that's, there's, a, there's a problem with management here. This is not being handled correctly. Yeah, I think that's what worries me. Um, and people are going to... There's there's some out there who are, you know, one second. And I, I think that, like, just um, this isn't me alluding to me, like, losing confidence in Fizdale. I still do believe in his abilities as a coach. I still do enjoy him as a coach and how he's able to really connect with his players. And, you know, especially when it comes to, like, Kevin Knox, especially when it's been Trier, when it's been, you know, Vonley, Dotson, uh, Robinson, all these guys. You know, they seem to have made strides under Fizdale's guidance, but that doesn't mean that we can just leave out one of the core members of the, you know, the organization moving forward. Or at least he should be. And, you know, just because he's not ready doesn't mean that he's a bust. Like, we have so much longer before this is this ship is set to sail. Frank could take his time getting, you know, developing, becoming the player he's going to be. There's no reason that he has to have it done, you know, 25 games into his second season. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I do believe in Fizdale, but there's some people out there who, no matter what happens with the rotations or um, decisions that Fizdale makes, it's always, well, don't worry, Fizdale's got this. And as much as I loved Fizdale before we hired him, I was really big during our podcast, during the coaching search about Fizdale was my guy that I wanted, and we got him. And I actually really firmly believe in a lot of what he's doing with the tinkering and everything, seeing what he's got. He knows that the lost season... Uh, we always say that in the lost seasons, just experiment, see what you got, figure some stuff out. And he's doing it without a care in the world. So I think that's great and it's important, but what worries me is, and again, I'm not going to go nuts on the Frank thing yet, but if he were to not play Frank consistently, then that would be troubling to me, not really just for Frank, but I would start to worry about future prospects that are very raw. You know, there's, there's a lot of, and, and I think Zion, I'm going to bring up, and he's a totally different beast. I think he'd have far more impact in the NBA uh, if he joined the league right now than, than Frank would in terms of offensive production, probably. But, you know, I, I would worry a little bit, even if it's un, not justified, that, well, what are they going to do if they draft other players that have, you know, really raw talent? Like Frank does, it needed to be molded. It needed to be guided. But you know, they're they're smart. They have good instincts. They have good IQ. But they need some help. You know, and that concerns me. That even if it shouldn't, that concerns me. You know, it just it's it'll sit in the back of my mind because then we have guys like Mitchell Robinson, who is is a significant contributor on defense and pretty much just the offensive glasses. For some reason, he can't secure defensive rebounds all that well. And he doesn't give you a ton on offense outside of uh, when he's rim rolling effectively, but it's a little well, different, you know, just, just to harken back onto your point about, you know, about development, developing raw players and everything. And then we could touch on Robinson a little bit more from there, but it's a little different when it's your guy that you draft, right? Like the thing is with Frank, like they're not really too afraid to bury him, you know, deep on the bench because, you know, for all that's worth, he's still a Phil Jackson pick. 
Like, he's still left over from the last regime. The only one who really has any stake on Frank Nielakina even being on this team right now is Steve Mills. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how big of a difference it makes, but I, I just feel like if Fisdale were to be in the room when they draft Zion Williamson and, you know, and Perry makes that pick and Mills is there for that pick and everything, like, this, I just feel like the stakes are going to be higher for them to try to improve it. Whereas with Frank, you know, he's... He, he's leftovers, basically, if they get something out of him good, but they're not pushing quite as hard. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is certainly different. And I, I do think that developing a big is, is generally pretty, not easy, but easier than it would be for a guard. There's a lot that you got to uh, work on to be a perimeter player, to be effective and stay effective. And I, I just think... Um, I don't want to get too hung up on it. I saw a lot of Knicks fans panic. I'm not there yet. You know, we'll see how this next week goes. You know, we're we're at game 25 tomorrow, um, but I'm not there yet. But with the full on panic, Um, I do think starting tomorrow night and beyond is when now we got to get serious about the critiquing with uh, Fisdale and how he's handling the players. Um, We've been pretty laid back about it as a whole, not just us we, in this we've podcast. Been open. We've been open to his approach, and which, because, is, which we still we are, are, but yeah, it's it's now it's we, time we, to kind of clamp down a bit. We still are. I've seen people and, and somebody who's going to be joining us on this pod pretty soon has a, a lot of thoughts on this, but um, some people really lay into Fisdale and his decisions, and while I generally think the points are valid, I just think it's, you know, we, we got to remember the context is he's intentionally doing things that might not make sense to try guys out. Like, he's in... There's nobody, whether it's advanced statistics and analytics or whether it's the eye test, um, old fashioned scouts and new age scouts alike. There's nobody who could watch the footage of Damian Dotson starting at the three and Mario Hazonia starting at the three and think Hazonia deserves to be starting over Dotson. There's there's just not. It would defy all logic that has to do with the game of basketball. So I don't think that he's doing these things to be. You know, I, I don't think he's like unintentionally being dumb, I, I think that. This is on purpose just to try things out. Yeah, Fizz, um, me, Fizz, Fizz is kind of a hard ass too. Like that, he's playing the hard ass teacher role with these guys right, right. now. Like he, you know, he he's really sticking to. And he said it before, and we should expect it. But he, he's really sticking to what he said about you know if they're if you're playing well, you're going to get minutes. And if you're not, you're going to get benched. And I, I can't, I really can't put up too much of an argument against that approach. There are just things from a real like that's a good po- coaching mindset. I like seeing that in my coach. From a realistic team building long term viewpoint, I, I don't necessarily agree with every decision he makes, but kind of day to day, I'm still pretty firmly in Fizdale's camp. Me too. Me too. And I, I've been very cautiously optimistic about him and Perry in general as a whole. Um, I, I do think that, and, and I've said this on Twitter a few times too, and I just want to get it out of the way in the podcast. Um, I'm not blindly optimistic about this stuff. More has to be done before I, I pledge allegiance to those guys like that. But it's, it is always encouraging. That's all we can go by. It's encouraging that, you know, guys are getting a lot of chances, even if it's not the guys that we like and guys are maybe developing like a moody, even if it's not the, the guys that we want to develop. Um, there are encouraging moves that have been made by Perry, smart, little savvy things like even, you know, nailing this last draft class, it looks like. Um, so I'm encouraged by how things have gone since Perry's taken over. I'm still encouraged despite, you know, being a little bit worried about maybe Frank's future, but um, more has to be done. 
More has to be done. I, I don't think just because they, they maybe hit on a couple of draft picks and it is so, too soon to tell though. Alonzo Trier looks like the greatest player that's ever played. And uh, Mitchell Robinson looks terrific defensively. If he can stay in the game and stop fouling. And it looks like Knox who we can touch on uh, next is, is, you know, maybe writing the ship here, but more has to be done. You know, this is a big summer coming up and whether or not they even get the big free agent doesn't matter. Uh, a lot of those auxiliary moves are going to tell us a lot about what this front office is capable of and what they want to do. So there's a lot here that we need to do before we, we start calling this a success or start going, don't worry guys, they've got it. They've got it because we've been there before with front offices. And I'm not trying to sound like I have PTSD with this stuff, but um, you know, while, while it's encouraging, they haven't really proven anything yet. So yeah, I agree. I've, I've kind of bought in. I, I've bought into the vision while it's because I, I, there hasn't been so many, there hasn't really been any moves that have steered me off the course of what Mills and Perry have been, have decided to do so far and how they've wanted to run the franchise. I've been pretty much on board so far. This Frank situation over the last week and the Neil Aquino trade rumors and everything, this is really the first time that I've started to kind of question how strongly I'm buying into their vision, you know, or how, you know, how, how true they seem to be to their vision, I should say. But, you know, we're, we're going to have to see how this pans out. This could yeah, th- this could either reinforce my belief in them or just totally shatter it. So time will I tell. Said, I said a couple of pods ago too. The last thing I want to say on Frank is while yeah, I then we'll talk believe, about Knox. Well, I do believe he has the requisite skills to be a point guard, like ingrained in him in terms of his IQ and his ability to get it done. Um, he hasn't been willing to really follow through on that, but we've seen enough flashes for me to at least believe in that. At some point, he could be an effective guard offensively as well as defensively. I truly don't care what they end up doing with Frank as long as he turns into an effective player and starter. Um, I, means- I see a very different kind of like foundation or I, I see a very different kind of effectiveness and body type than like Tony Allen or Marcus Smart. But I do see a lot of comps in there that I like between them, um, but even if it makes him like a unique player. I think that's part of the thing that's getting lost here is that Frank is kind of a unique specimen. We haven't seen a lot of players like him. We haven't seen guys who, like him who are, you know, you know, very, very confident perimeter defenders who can also follow a guy all the way to the rim and act as a rim protector at times. Like he's, uh, you know, he's got that part of his game down and fans just don't appreciate defense as much. We understand that, but it, it's, it has real, real existent value to it. And, you know, eventually he's going to learn how to hit corner threes. You know, eventually he's going to learn how to pull up competently without waiting and aiming a shot and everything. You know, eventually he's going to figure out how to get to the rim. These aren't like incredibly difficult, difficult skills that he has to learn here. It's just about him being able to figure out how he fits into the NBA, how his body can exist on the floor. Like he's going to get there. But again, even if you give him two more years from now, he's 22 years old. You give him three, he's 23 years old. It's this is. He's got so much time to figure this out, and yet we're still trying to rush him, you know, after barely, not even 100 games into his career. Barely that, if maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Let's talk about Kevin Knox. Please. Kevin Knox, our 2019 draft pick, uh, first round pick, or 2018, I'm sorry. I'm already in the future. He had a tremendous game. He had a career game. First time, you know, we've really seen a an offensive dominant game from from Kevin Knox, and you know, I, I it's just it felt really really good to see. 
especially when a lot of the Knox bus kind of rumors started going around and, or, you know, just kind of takes started going around. And it was really hard to see. And, uh, but you know, he managed to finish the game really well. He's, he ended up scoring, uh, what do we have? 26 points. Yeah. 26 points, four rebounds, four assists. He had a block. He had a steal just 37 minutes, like looked pretty good. in all of those minutes out there, he looked pretty effective. Um, knocked down his threes. He was able to drive. He was, you know, able to hit some free throws. It was a really good all-around game from him. A game that you could see him turning into a nightly performance. Um, I'm once again really, really encouraged in what I've seen out of Kevin Knox. Um, yeah, uh, where, where do you, what are you taking away from that? So there, there's been some uh, some talk. We had a funny tweet last night where we we made fun of the the Berman article. Um, and it wasn't like making fun of Berman. It was making fun of like his, his sources saying the scouts saying that Kevin Knox and Frank are soft. And, um, we posted that headline with, um, a picture of Kevin Knox's stat line from last night, which was 26, four and four. And it was one game and everybody let us know it was one game. And we know it was one game, but I also don't want to sit here and pretend that, um, you know, Kevin has been a, a woefully unproductive guy either. I mean, it hasn't been exactly what we wanted to start, especially after how well we saw him play in the summer league. And, um, but to and me, could, can we also say that it may have only been one game, but it was, and you know, even if it was, it was his 15th game, not of the well, season of his career, which is like, well, well here's what, uh, yeah, yeah. Continue. Here, here's, here's what I wanted to point out. Right. So in his, in his very first game, he put up uh, 10 points and I'm just going to stick with the points. I'm not going to read the whole line. Um, he's had some nice rebounding games as well, but so 10 points was his first game. 17 points was the second game. Then he got injured uh, against Boston, right? So that game he played, you know, barely any time, four minutes in it and he got hurt. Uh, he had only had a point in that game. Then he came back. He missed, I think it was seven games. He came back. Working his way back, he scored two points, then zero, which is fair. That because that ankle injury looked really, really bad. It ended up not being that bad, but it looked really bad. He turned it all the way over, like, all it, the way over. Yeah, I, I'm was, surprised it didn't snap. And, yeah, it could it yeah. could have been a lot worse with just a little bit more impact. But yep, it's okay. So he comes back now, two points and zero. Remember, he played four minutes in the other game and got the the game where he injured himself and scored one point. So you have to those are going to weigh on your averages heavily, right? But then after that. 12 points, 17 points, 15 points, 11 points, then four and two. And those are the games where, you know, we started to lose uh, minutes a little bit, but okay, whatever. No big deal. Um, and to add to that too, like if you're looking at Kevin Knox's averages at this point in his career or the season, like you're, you're looking for a problem. You're trying to manufacture something the, here. The, my thing is then he hit that little rough patch after the, the four and two, he scored 11 uh, I think that was the Boston game. He scored 11, had nine rebounds. And then after that, he started to struggle again. And he had five points, zero points, four points, nine points, and uh, really low minutes. So then he had the, the outburst last night with 26, four and four, a steal and a block. Um, the thing here is about half the games he's played, he scored in double digits. In, in games, especially where he actually gets the minutes, where he gets 20 or more minutes, he scores in double digits more often than he doesn't, almost all the time. And while it hasn't been as efficient as we want, he's also a rookie. He's 19 years old and he's going 
to not everybody's a Jason Tatum who comes in and can right away be pretty efficient. Some guys need a little bit more work. Um, we know it's a lost year, so I don't want to get hung up on efficiency, but I just want to track the growth. What I'm seeing is like, he's still capable of scoring at the NBA level. He's still, he's still capable of putting up these double digit type of games without being able to go, uh, you know, finish at the rim with his left hand. You know, he's still trying to find his three point stroke and, and step out from that range and, and hit those. But he's to me shown that he's capable of it. And that's what, that's what matters, right? I mean, we want to see the guys are capable of scoring, even if it's inefficient going out there and being able to score. And to me, I see that from Knox and this is all with him running around half the time. Like he, he's a baby deer. Like he's still trying to get his, his legs underneath him. Sometimes he's out of control, but you know, for me that he's still getting results and it's not always pretty and it's not always what we want. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and gush over him and say he's been tremendous by any means, but I think the overreaction to either his averages or some of the bad games that he had are kind of over the top too, because we're ignoring a, a lot of games where they had faith in him and let him gone and shoot through his, his, uh, his struggles to, to finish with a, with a respectable box score and, and point totals. And um, I mean, all we really want from him is that level of aggressiveness, even if it's going to be inefficient some nights, just stay aggressive you know, we hope that he's going to be a big piece next to KP, right? We don't know what Frank's future holds here, but we know pretty much that, you know, Knox and whoever the lottery pick is this upcoming year should factor into being a big part of his team. And that's all that I want to see is how are they going to use him and how are they going to let him grow? And I've seen them mix it up for Knox and run action for him, you know, dribble handoffs or high screens, try to get him rolling. Um, they, they've really worked him around and to me, it seems like they're trying to work with them. I just don't see the concern is my point that that's what it comes down to. Um, and, and last night, obviously yeah, no, I, is I'm, when I'm we can talk our shit, but, um, I, I'm just, I really am truly not worried. He's, I'm he's seeing, got a, a, you know, not only he's got to literally get comfortable again. It's like everything you were just saying, you know, he's going to have those bad games in between there because he's literally playing on this bum ankle that he probably came back a little bit too fast from. And he's got to, you know, he's got to literally figure out like, He's got to maintain himself out there all over again. You know, he got his NBA career started and then came to a screeching halt. And now he's got to figure it all out again. And he's getting there. And last night was a big, you know, big showing of that. And, you know, you just hope as the year goes on, he can stay injury free. He could just he can just continue building off this, you know, with bumps in the road and everything. But he'll continue to grow. Yeah, so I'm encouraged. Hopefully after I mean, what I hope now is that he builds off this cause we saw him be very aggressive. I mean, he was even making some passes, which we haven't seen him do a whole lot of. Um, and they weren't just like BS assists. A lot of them were nice finds to be honest with you. I, I I'm fresh off watching this game and, um, he was very, he was very aggressive. Like, and it wasn't just going to the rack or attacking the boards. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say four rebounds is by any means a great rebounding night, but he just seemed like he was trying to get into the action whenever he could, whatever the action was, we saw him, dive on the ground for a loose ball in the first half and, and really mix it up. And he just seemed like he was leaving it all out there. And that's the kind of energy that we want to see from him, especially um, with the vicious New York media, how it can be. And, uh, you know, some people were questioning his motor and how hard he wanted to work. And it's nice that right after those reports, he comes right out and goes, you know what, man, I've had enough and drops this on everybody. When he got those uh, looks from three, he wasn't hesitating. Some of them, he was wide open. Some of them, there was a defense. 
defender pretty close to him or contesting. And he just confidently took it in stride and shot. So I, I just like what I saw. I hope he builds off of it, but I guess I really just hope this kind of cements his spot in the starting lineup. I just think now you got to start focusing on his development uh, more uh, results. Be damned. I just think you got to make sure he's in there. I think, I think, yeah, you got to lay him in at the four and just let him go to yep. work. Yeah. You just put him wherever it makes sense. I mean, listen, Hazonia is going to be due for a replacement from the starting lineup soon. I, I think we can pretty confidently pencil Knox in where Hazonia's spot is within the next couple of weeks. I mean, I'm willing to make that wager that I think Knox will start starting and Hazonia will be relegated to some DMPs moving forward. Uh, I don't know if it comes next game. I think it might be a nice, you know, Fisdale confidence showing to start Knox next game at the three. Um, that could also have catastrophic results, so we'll have to see what happens. But um, I am I'm very encouraged with what I saw in Kevin Knox, uh, you know, against, uh, you know, the the other day. Um, I'm already forgetting who we were playing. Who were we playing? Oh, yeah. The Milwaukee Bucks. Duh. Um, good showing against the Bucks. Love Kevin Knox moving forward. I'm hoping to see more things from him. Kyle, do you have anything else that you want to touch on from last night's game or anything else? Um, I guess the last thing I want to do real quick is just in case we get a crazy line of change for game 25. I just want you to shoot uh, your best starting lineup that well, your best guess of what the new starting lineup is going to be going forward. The one that Fizdale says is uh, what he wants to start using. What do you think that's going to look like if think, it were to be announced tomorrow? I think it's pretty confidently Moutier and Hardaway in the backcourt. I agree. Um, I'm going to say Cantor remains the starter, um, mm-hmm. regardless of uh, you know, of what we think Robinson should be doing. Uh, I think he's earned that spot. Uh, I think Vonley stays at the four. I think he's very much earned that as well. And I think you put Knox at the three. I think that's just his his you know his way of showing confidence in, in him moving forward. And I don't think Hazonia has done really much to earn that other than dunking over Giannis and walking over him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have a feeling that Knox starts to might start at the three and, you know, we'll see how he flows like that. And, you know, if he continues to struggle, then you pull him out and then Dotson goes in at the three. So uh, I don't know. Where, where do you stand? Uh, I think I agree, but my my gut my heart says they're going to put Knox at the three because they need to develop him and, and they, they need to start showing that, uh, you know, get, get that lottery pick on the court, get him those big minutes and get him working. But my gut tells me that Dotson's going to start at the three. I agree with the, the rest of the lineup. Um, I just think the three is going to be the big question or, you know, if by surprise Von Lee takes a seat and they let, uh, Knox tried out at the four, but I just don't think you could justify it. Um, I, I honestly think Dotson's kind of won it over. He's been just pretty damn good defensively. Every time he goes out there, I've said this like several times, but it just seems like he gives you the same exact game. He gets you three or four rebounds, 12 to 15 points. Uh, maybe a steal and some good defense. It just feels like he always has that same game when he's out there. It's a couple of open threes. And I just don't know if somebody who is still pretty young, he's in his second year. Um, he's not, you know, a rookie, but he didn't play a lot last year. And I just think if he's that young and he's producing that well, that consistently on both sides of the ball, how could you sit him? Even if Knox is the lottery pick and another young talent you want to develop. So I'm going to just, you know, for the sake of you having Knox, I'm honestly going to say that Dotson probably gets the nod. That's fair. I think it's going to be, I think it's Moutier, Hardaway, uh, Dotson, 
Uh, I'll probably leave Vonley and then Cantor. I don't think is going anywhere until Mitch at least proves he can stay on the, you know, breathe on a court without it being a foul. So, so let me ask you one other thing real quick, uh, regardless of if Dotson makes it in the, uh, in the lineup or not, when it comes to the bench, where do you see Courtney Lee right now? Because he was eligible last night and he didn't play a minute. That's a great question. Um, I feel as though his own is going to take a seat. I just feel like we're going to see some sort of platoon at the three and four. Like it's good. It's going to be like a real jumbled mess. Like um, in terms of staggering, like the two will probably be some semblance of, you know, Timmy and then backing him up, you know, dots that can slide over when Timmy uh, sits to stagger him and maybe Courtney Lee comes in and, and Trier and, I don't really know how they're going to work him in. I think he'll probably take like probably 10 to 15 minutes or so to, to kind of get his feet wet again. And I just feel like we're going to see him slide back and forth at the two and the three, because I think we've all kind of known that the writing has been on the wall for Lee, that, that he's probably going to be shipped out, even if it's not for a uh, sufficient return. So I just think they got to get him out there and let, you know, let teams see that he's healthy. They know what he's going to produce anyway. They just got to see that he's healthy. Um, but I don't think he's going to play like a, a significant role either. You know, just the way that they've been with all the vets, um, you know, taking again, we can, the, the much maligned, uh, Ennis Cantor for his defense. He still puts up, you know, damn good offensive numbers. And even he had to take a backseat, you know? So I, I don't see Courtney Lee coming in and suddenly, uh, getting 25 minutes a night. I just think it's going to be like That's a very 10. True. 10, 10 minute a game kind of situation. I don't see I don't see him playing him more than fifteen minutes, honestly. Yeah, like even on a good game, I could see him playing max twenty minutes. Um, but I think the Ennis Cantor comp is a really big is a is a really good comparison because he, he like you're absolutely right. Cantor's earned his role on the team. He's earned his spot. You know, he's putting up these offensive minutes and everything. These offensive numbers that are just you know pretty staggering some nights. I mean, he's got even his rebounding prowess has been huge this season. But even he's been asked to take a seat at points, but. Uh, you know, he's at least guaranteed minutes, especially with the like, you know, kind of dearth of centers that the Knicks have. Uh, there is a surplus of wings and guards on this roster. So Courtney Lee, I could see even I could see some DMPs in his future moving forward. Um, I think he and Frank will be buying for a lot of the same minutes now. Um, I think that'll be really interesting to see how that pays uh, plays out. Um, Dotson being in there is very interesting. Whether or not he gets the start will impact how many minutes I think Lee gets. But yeah, we're going we're going to be seeing some minutes out of Lee in some capacity because they got to try to move him. It's what that capacity will look like is going to be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be regardless. It's going to be a wild week anyway because we knew this was. As we said before, this was the cutoff for when he wants to start setting his rotations. And I'm sure it doesn't help him any that Courtney Lee is suddenly healthy and ready to go now as he has to make his decisions. But um, it just feels like he's going to probably tighten it up. I feel like his own is going to fall by the wayside and he'll probably try to get Courtney some minutes when he can. But that's about it. It's going to be Wednesday's pod, man, might be one hell of an episode with potential changes that happen before then. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's save that energy for them. Uh, any closing notes for tonight? Um, no, I, I just want to say that uh, yep. 
we appreciate all the listeners and uh, followers that we have yep. on everything. And yep. if, if, if you don't have us on even, I forgot this in the plugs earlier, but if you don't have us added on Facebook, make sure you do so. We Yeah, Instagram um, too. Instagram as well. Make sure you find us there. It's always the Nick's wall, easy to find. Yep. Nick's um, wall but, and Instagram. But yeah, I mean, we, uh, we, we love hearing from you guys. We love hearing from you guys during the games. We love tweeting during the games with you guys. And again, it, if you're an exclusive listener to just the podcast, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter too. I feel like we don't talk about that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Got a lot of every, things going every, on. A lot of things going on, but we're always there to give you good analysis. We're always there to give you some jokes, lighten things up. It could be tough talking about the Knicks a lot, so we're always here to have a good time. And during the games, that's what we try to do. Yeah. Join if us you're for there all the for games. the brand, the brand is there for you. Right, right. And we try to. We're always there every night. Every night there's a game. We're tweeting it, tweeting the clips out. You know, talking, conversing with all you guys. So. Um, just oh, always join us. And, and if, and if you follow along with us and don't reply or comment, feel free to do so. I, I tweet a bunch of the games and stone and, and our social team tweets a lot of the games and we just, a lot, a common theme is that we love talking with you guys and hearing from you guys. So make sure you just continue to do that for those of you who are, and if you haven't, you know, welcome aboard and join us. We look forward to hearing from you. Yep. Shout out to all of you. Shout out to, uh, Matt Spendley. Shout out to Kyle here. Shout out to myself. And we will talk to you all on Wednesday. Till then.